Welcome to another inspirational message from Chowdean Community Church, Gateshead. For more information about Chowdean, visit www.chowdean.org.uk. We hope you enjoy the podcast. When you're on the um, rota for anything at church, you do get an email reminder. But I got two this week. One was a reminder that I was the speaker this morning, but the other one said that I was playing in the band. Well, I thought, ooh. So I emailed Paul and I said, would you like me to bring my own paper and comb? It's the only thing I can play. But this morning we're we're going to start with a, a new short series looking at the life of Elijah. And the overall theme is depending on God. It's about trusting in Jesus, about leaning on him, which is something I think we could all do with learning a little bit more about. Elijah was a prophet in the Old Testament part of the Bible. And personally, I'm really excited about this particular bit of the Bible and about the character of this man, Elijah. Now, his story is told in three chapters of 1 Kings, but what a story this is. And the thing I admire most about this man is though He wasn't perfect by any means. He's just an ordinary man. But he was a man who knew his God and was prepared to obey even if the message he was bringing would make people feel uncomfortable. And that takes courage. Now the verses, and I hope you've had a chance to read through them during the week and you've got your reading plan. But today it's just six verses from 1 Kings chapter 17 and it's verses 1 to 6. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. So he did what the Lord had told him, He went to the Carith Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Up until this point in the Bible, there has been no mention of Elijah, and then he just bursts onto the scene. I felt it was a bit like one of those pop-up books, you know, where it's all flat, and then all of a sudden, something pops up from the page. Suddenly, Elijah appears. We're told very little about him, nothing about his parents, although they must have believed in God because they gave him the name Elijah, which means, my God is the Lord. The only thing we can learn in this first verse is that Elijah was from Tishbe in Gilead, and Tishbe was believed to have been a very small community, a village really, in the rugged, mountainous forest area of Gilead. Gilead was wild, largely uninhabited, so ideal for spending time alone with God. And God was obviously preparing Elijah for a mission. Although it's not in these verses, we can learn from the second book of Kings that Elijah wore a garment of black camel hair with a leather belt around his waist. Now the priests of that day, they all wore white linen robes and tall pointed hats. So Elijah turning up at the palace in Samaria wearing his camel hair and his leather belt, it certainly would have got him noticed. But his outfit demonstrates that material things were not his priority. He was God's man, he was a proclaimer of God's word, and the trappings of this world held no appeal for him. 
He knew who he was and why he was there. He was to bring God's message, a warning to the king. Elijah also knew his God. As I said earlier, even his name means the Lord is my God. That's such a great name, isn't it? Now, Elijah had no doubts about his relationship with God. He was focused, not looking to the left or the right, a solid man of God, and he refers to him as the living God whom I serve. And yet we'll find as we read on that he was full of faith and boldness one day and then doubting and depressed another. So he was very human. His appearance was dramatic and sudden. His message, short, direct, and pretty blunt. There's going to be no rain for the next few years unless I say so. And as Paul Scanlon said last week, there's quite a few of us who would like to have had that ministry quite lately when it seemed like it was never going to stop raining. Elijah did come bowing and scraping. He just laid it on the line and left as suddenly as he came, job done. The reason for him bringing such an undesirable message to King Ahab, we read about a few verses earlier in chapter 6, verse 30. That tells us that Ahab the son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. Ahab had married Jezebel, and she was doing her level best to turn the people away from worshipping the Lord and encouraging the worship of the false god, Baal. Ahab was weak and wicked, whereas Elijah's character had been forged in the desert. He wasn't bogged down by a desire for material things or chained to his comfort zone, and you have to admire him. Now, saying that it wasn't going to rain for years would be a huge insult to the priests of Baal, because Baal was regarded as the god who controlled the rain and fertility in agriculture. Elijah was bringing the judgment of God on a people who had turned away from the living God. So he did what he was told, he brought the message to the king, and then straight away, he's hiding in a ravine. He's hiding in a ravine, and no doubt, the king would be hunting for him. And I've tried to put myself in Elijah's shoes here. He had actually been obedient and done what God asked him to do. He's had that boldness. But in the book of James, in the New Testament, we read that Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. I've got no doubt he was a bit scared. Was he having a few doubts? He was alone. He was hiding in the ravine. And the king was out to get him. So I imagine him there, cowering, afraid of the future, wondering what would happen next. And then our amazing God does the supernatural. He sends ravens to bring food to Elijah. Apparently, Ravens are birds that don't even look after their own young particularly well. They're not caring birds like penguins, where both parents look after the penguin chick. But in demonstrating his love for Elijah in such a practical way, surely not only were Elijah's practical needs met, but also his faith would be fed. He would be encouraged to know that in a really difficult situation, the Lord his God was graciously and supernaturally providing for him. There was nothing Elijah could do to help himself, but God was there for him. Currently, Colin and I are facing difficulties on several different fronts. The kind of problems for which there is no human solution 
and no real medical cure. We have to be dependent on God. But the other day in my prayer time, I read these words from Spurgeon, who was an old time preacher. And he said, and he was writing as if he was writing as if it was God speaking, which is unusual for Spurgeon. But he said, I will help you, says the Lord. It is but a small thing for me, your God, to help you. Consider what I have done already. Why not help you? I have died for you. If I have done the greater, will I not do the less? Before the world began, I chose you. I laid aside my glory for you. And if I did all this, surely I will help you now. Can I want more wisdom than exists in the Father? More love than displayed in the Son? Or more power that is in the Holy Spirit? And I thought, consider what I have done already. And it's a reminder. And I think that sometimes it's good for us to look back and remind ourselves of God's goodness to us in the past. Just before Christmas, I attended the Emmanuel College carol service. There were two and a half thousand people packing the city hall. And John Bates, as one of the founders of the college, was the speaker. And I felt proud to know John and proud to belong to the same church. And God, John spoke of how in the early days, in preparation for the college to be built, God provided in miraculous ways. And John recalled sitting in a little hut on the site of this building and praying. And God answered the prayers of those who were gathered there. And it was really encouraging to be reminded of that. Now, I like to keep a journal. And at the beginning of every year, I read back the previous year and I give thanks to God for the way that's kept us. Having said that, I'm usually thinking to myself as I read back, I can't understand why I was making such a fuss about that at the time. You know, it turned out to be trivial. It was nothing. And I realize that we, we like to hear fresh testimonies and we can't keep going back over the past. But occasionally, it encourages our faith to recall God's goodness. Anyway, many of you will be familiar with this next story. In fact, some of you were a part of it. But there are those here today who have not heard. And as I said, it's good to be reminded. Because in 1992, Colin and I bought a factory opposite Gateshead Stadium for our welding and engineering business. The factory and the offices were exactly as Colin had been looking for. Now, I'm sorry about the quality of the photographs, but there were, I couldn't work out how to make them any bigger. But you can get the gist of what the factory looked like from the outside. It was exactly what Colin had been looking for, for the factory and for the offices. But at the other end of the building, there was a separate entrance leading to a number of other rooms and one really large room. I'll get the other really large room there. You can see the size of the room from there. And as soon as I saw it, I thought, oh, this would make a great church meeting place. Now, bear in mind that we were in an engineering factory on an industrial state, I wasn't familiar with the area and I didn't even know whether there were any houses anywhere near. As Paul Scanlon said last week and has been mentioned this morning, we do need some crazy people in the church and I must have had a crazy moment. So we approached the leaders of the church about starting an outreach work in the area 
and a team of us crazy people were sent out and the Fold Community Church was born. At first, we just held afternoon meetings and we transported people up to Chowdean for the morning service. The Sunday school at Chowdean was huge in those days. It was bursting at the seams. So the Sunday school hired a bus and they transported all of the children down to the factory whilst we drove an old minibus up to Chowdean with the people from the fold. So we had a bus ministry years before Bradford did. Mind you, it was a very old minibus, but still every Sunday evening it went round the estate picking people up. Then as the fold grew and more people were coming along, we had our own two services. It wasn't the easiest place to be working in those days. Colin would spend most of his Sunday evenings unblocking toilets and mopping up the floors where the kids had blocked the sinks and then turned the taps on. And I remember sitting in one house where the windows had been boarded up with metal shutters because of a feud with neighbours. And stones were being hurled at the shutters and banging against the metal. And it felt a bit like a war zone. I have to say, it's nothing like that now. Well, the church was going well, but sadly, the business was heading into difficulties. We'll be hearing next week about how Elijah's brook dries up. And for us, the finances began to dry up. Till in 1996, the bank withdrew their support and the receivers were called in. Colin and I prayed together that night. We confirmed our love, our trust, our dependence on God and our love for each other. But like Elijah, we had no idea what the future would hold. We employed about 30 people, and it was an uncertain future for everyone. And there certainly wasn't much sleep that night. The next morning, traveling to the factory, I was thinking, I wonder if anybody would buy the factory so that the men could continue in their employment. Now, we used to have a, a prayer time with some of the staff early morning. So I went to the prayer room and opened my Bible in preparation. Now, I was really looking for a word of comfort that would say, fear not, I am with you as you go, or be not afraid, the Lord is with you. Instead, I opened the Bible at random, and I know that's not always recommended, but on this occasion, I did. I opened the Bible at random and read from Jeremiah 32. Since it is your right to redeem it and possess it, Buy it for yourself. And I thought, what? We've got about six pounds in the bank, and this building is worth nearly 300,000. It was definitely, somebody was crazy. I'm not sure whether it was me or God, but somebody was crazy. But I read on, you know, was God speaking? Sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Did I believe that? Nothing is too hard for the Lord. Do you believe that today? Nothing is too hard for him. Well, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We talked to Terry and the church. Terry was our church secretary in those days. And he sent out letters explaining our circumstances and asking for pledges of money. We were not a big group and we were working in an area of high unemployment Yet by some sacrificial giving, we raised £30,000, still a long way off the target. 
But I believe that God was moved by the prayers of the children in the Sunday school and the willingness of people to make sacrifices. Then we got an offer of an interest-free loan of 250000 The church could buy back the building, continue to meet as a church, rent out the factory to repay the loan, sorted. Two weeks after we'd lost the business, the church put in a bid to buy the building. However, a competitor in business put in a higher offer, and there was nothing more that we could do. And what we believed would be our last Sunday, as a church together, we had a praise party. We got the children in from the Sunday school, and we sang and danced and gave thanks to God for all that he had done amongst us. But we believed that it was the end. In the evening, Terry came round to our house in Lawfell, and we looked again at the pledges and the money that we'd raised, and we knew that we were defeated. There was nothing we could do to change our situation. It was over. But as Steve Riley said to us a couple of Sundays ago, or now is not forever. The grace of God stays the same. As we sat there, without hope, the phone rang. It was one of the large churches in Newcastle, and they had been praying for the fold as they knew the problems that we were facing. A visitor to the church, a stranger, had heard the prayers, and he left a check for £10,000. To this day, we don't know who that person was. Like Elijah, it wasn't about the man, it was about his God and being obedient to his direction. The next morning, the church's bid was increased, and within a few days, the church owned the building, and we could continue to meet together. The loan was repaid, and for Colin and myself, we did lose our jobs and our home, but I can only say that looking back, it was one of the best things that could have happened to us. And I can hardly believe this myself, but we've actually lived on the fold now for 20 years this year. So God miraculously provided for us. He miraculously provided for Elijah. And next week, we'll be reading how God miraculously provides for a widow and her son. So if you should find yourself in a difficult situation now, sometime later this year, remember that our God has not changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Your now is not forever. Of course, if you want to know why we're not still there and why we all came to be back here, you'll have to ask me later because it'll take too long to explain that story. But I will say that of all the people who went out, all the crazy people who went in 1992, were all back here apart from one man, Brian, who sadly died, and one couple who are currently working at a different church but who do maintain close links with us. So, what can we learn from Elijah in this particular situation? Elijah was a man of courage and faith, a man available to God and willing to stand up for what he believed, but he was also very human. We might think that he was different to us, that he was especially gifted, but James does say that Elijah had a nature just like ours. He was normal and average, if a little eccentric in his dress sense. Elijah had his weaknesses, as we learn as we go on reading. He faced the, I can't possibly do that, or, oh, well, I just don't feel like it. 
just like everybody else. But Elijah knew his God. He relied on the divine resources available to him, and the same resources are available to us. If we would just lift our eyes from the difficulties and focus on the power of God available to us. Personally, I think that I need to be a little less sane now because it is overrated. I'd just like to invite the band to come back up now. We looked much last year at our church's core values, and surprisingly, the one that Elijah displays is aspiring, which might seem rather surprising because Elijah wasn't aspiring to be anything great. But the way to greatness is to be humble before God and to be obedient to whatever he asks us to do. If you need proof of Elijah's greatness, then you just need to take a look at Matthew's gospel where we find Elijah talking with the Lord Jesus and with Moses at the transfiguration. He was humble. He was dependent on God. He was willing to be obedient even when it was dangerous and costly. He was bold at times and weak at times. So I'm really looking forward to learning more about the man and his God and how to become more dependent over these next few weeks. And I will say that if you don't know him, if you've never put your trust in Jesus, if you are in a situation that currently needs more of God, then please stay and talk to one of the leaders after the service. Thank you. This is the end of this message. We hope you enjoyed it. If you want to find out more about our church, please visit www.chowdean.org.uk and please take a minute to rate our podcast on iTunes.